Hello and welcome to episode one of a brand new podcast. My name is Carl Stewart and you're listening to the debut episode of Is It Shane Ritchie? The Adventures of a Wrestling Journeyman. Thank you very much for taking the time to listen today, whoever and wherever you are. I'm sure many of you will be wondering why the unusual name. And that is something I'll be going into and explaining a little bit later on. Before that, however, I should probably just tell you a little bit more about me, about my background, and what this podcast is going to be about. These days, I earn my living as a hypnotherapist, or at least I would be doing under normal circumstances. But from May 1996 to October 2012, I was a professional wrestler. I should say right from the start that this podcast isn't really about me, It's not really about Shane Ritchie either, but again, more about that later. I've always been someone who can very easily put eyes on himself, so I should make it very clear that I have no delusions of grandeur or ideas above my station in terms of my place, or the lack of it, in wrestling history. I'm certainly not naive and deluded enough to think that people would give a monkey's toss about my personal wrestling career. I was very much a journeyman during my time in the ring. I never made any great impact on the world of wrestling, nor did I ever headline any WrestleManias. Although I can now say that a friend of mine has, which is pretty cool really. What my humble career did allow me to do though was travel to some fantastic places, and quite a lot of not so fantastic ones which I'm sure we'll go into, have some amazing experiences, meet some incredible people, and go on some truly wonderful adventures with those people. And that's what this podcast is about, as I'll be sharing some of my experiences with those amazing characters. Some of the names I talk about will no doubt be familiar to you, and others probably won't. But I'll do my best to try and recreate some of those experiences for you, and hopefully bring those characters through the speaker to you. I was mostly what you might term a weekend warrior during my career. Although I did spend two years in 2007 and 2008 working full-time in wrestling, both as a wrestler and a promoter. I was mostly known under the name Carl Conroy over the years, although I did use one or two other pseudonyms from time to time, mostly as a rib, including Johnny Machine, the muscles from Brussels Robert D. Builder, or Bob D. Builder, Alan Kaida, and the name I started my career under, Cruising Carlo S, which unfortunately for me wasn't a rib. It just happened to be the best name I could think of with 30 seconds notice on the day of my debut. My debut match was against a very young Alex Shane at the Lees Cliff Hall in Folkestone for Andre Baker's Hammerlock Wrestling on the 23rd of May 1996. I was 17 at the time and had been completely obsessed with wrestling since sometime in the late 80s. From the first moment that I saw professional wrestling I was pretty much hooked and was never in any doubt as to what career I wanted to take up in the future. Of course there were the usual detractors all around me telling me how ridiculous and far-fetched an ambition it was to become a professional wrestler 
and I'd be lying if I said it wasn't extremely satisfying to stick two fingers up to everyone who said I couldn't do it. Although to be fair, most of those comments came after I made my debut, from various wrestlers and promoters. But nevertheless, I persevered. 1996 was an interesting time to get into wrestling, especially in British wrestling. The ITV coverage was long over by that point, and so was the initial buffer period that live wrestling had for a few years on the back of the remaining TV names. By 1995 things were at an all-time low, as even the biggest promoters in the country struggled drastically to attract crowds, at one time cancelling all but a few shows at their main halls. By the time 1996 rolled around, things were at least starting to come back up a little bit, at least from the previous year anyway. Hamlock's crowds at the bigger venues they ran were respectable at least for that time period I would say. Those of us who started around that time were in a little bit of a no man's land, kind of in between eras, although of course at the time we didn't know that. More and more of the veterans were retiring from the job, and the tidal wave of new promotions wouldn't arrive for another two to three years yet. Hamelot kind of stood out as being fairly unique at that time. Everywhere else was pretty much still a closed shop. Hamelot was really the first place to start breaking down those barriers, and I know Andre did come in for some stick from people in the job because of that. I'll always be grateful personally for the opportunity that Andre gave me to fulfil my dream of becoming a professional wrestler although, sadly, he is no longer here to be able to thank in person. After my time at Hammerlock, I worked for lots and lots of different wrestling promotions. Some good, and some not so good. At one time or another, I worked for most of the major promoters in Britain, and was lucky to be able to share the ring with a number of very experienced and very talented people, both British and from overseas who I'll no doubt talk much, much more about as we go along with the podcast. Although I travelled and worked pretty much here, there and everywhere, I did spend a fair amount of time working in the West Country and Scotland during my career. Working for CSF in and around Wiltshire in particular stands out as a great time for me, and many of my favourite stories will come from those experiences. Our regular trips up to Scotland during that time also stand out as some of the most noteworthy times of my wrestling career, as to the experiences I had after I moved to Scotland permanently. In February 2001, I travelled to Canada to spend a month working for the Can-Am Wrestling Federation based in Calgary, where I toured Alberta and Saskatchewan with my good friend Justin Richards. It's fair to say that our time in Canada was completely unique and very different to anything else I experienced in wrestling. The experiences we both had over there will, I know, stay with us for the rest of our lives, and I'll be covering that time in detail on one of these episodes. But, as I mentioned before, this isn't about me. It's about my experiences with those amazing characters that I met during my time in wrestling. And with that in mind, I'm pleased to say that I've spoken to a number of those people about appearing on the show as guests. And indeed many of them have agreed to come on and give their sides of the stories, and offer their various insights into the world of wrestling. I'll be announcing some of those amazing guests very shortly on both our Facebook and Twitter pages. 
and you can find us on both of those websites under the name Conroy Pod. So that's www.facebook or twitter.com forward slash Conroy Pod. And believe me, you won't want to miss out on what these people have to say about their time in the crazy world of professional wrestling. Before we start going to the origins of the podcast's name, I'd just like to give a quick shout to a couple of other wrestling podcasts, which are run by friends of mine. First of all, Seconds Away, It's Night Time, is run by former wrestler Stevie Knight and his longtime associate Richard Youngy Young, who have both been friends of mine for a long time now. The show features interviews with many of the top stars from the glory days of British wrestling, as well as with some modern day wrestlers, and is really, really well worth a listen. You can find them at www.twitter.com forward slash secondsawaypod. And the other podcast I'd like to give a shout to at this time is Because WCW, run by the twisted genius Dean Ayas and his co-host Liam Happ. I don't actually know Liam personally, but I've known Dean since even before I had my first match with Hammerlock. Their show focuses on reviewing WCW pay-per-views and TV shows, and is also really, really well worth a listen. You can find them at www.twitter.com forward slash because WCW. Definitely do check out those two fantastic shows. You will absolutely love them. So, with the shameless plugs out of the way, I suppose I should probably tell you why this podcast is called Is It Shane Ritchie? Despite having absolutely nothing whatsoever to do with Shane Ritchie. 2007 was the busiest year of my wrestling career. With normal town shows, holiday camps, gala days and assorted other shows thrown in, I ended up having a total of 186 matches that year, which, along with also running my own shows and doing promotional work for those, made it a very hectic time. And that's not even considering getting married that year too. With so many shows there was naturally a lot of travelling, and it soon became apparent that we needed to come up with something new to pass the time on the road. I had a number of different regular travelling partners on rotation that summer on the camps, and fairly early into the run, one of them suggested playing the game 20 Questions to pass the time, which subsequently became a regular part of all our road trips. For those who don't know, the idea of the game is that one person thinks of someone famous, and the other person, or people, have to ask questions to try and work out clues in order to try and guess the identity of the famous person. And the only answers allowed to be given being yes, no, or I don't know. So, for example, a good starting question might be, is the person male? Which might then be followed up with a question about whether the person is a sportsman, whether they're British, whether they're still alive, and so on and so forth, to try and narrow down the field of who it might be up to a maximum, as the name suggests, of 20 questions, at which point you have to either give up or make a guess. Our version of the game, however, pretty much made a mockery of the name, as it should have been called, ask as many questions as you can, either until someone guesses it or everybody loses the will to live, but either way it passes some time. I do have to own up now and admit that most of the times people lost the will to live during those games, it was probably because of me and the stupid questions I would ask. A typical game might start with the other person going, Right, I've got one. 
So I would start with, okay, is it a man? Yes. Is it a woman? I've just told you it was a man. Oh yeah, sorry. Right, so it's a man? Yes. Is his penis larger than seven inches? How the fuck am I supposed to know? Hang on, you're only supposed to answer yes or no. So, is his penis larger than seven inches? I haven't got a fucking clue. Well, maybe you should have researched this better. How am I meant to guess who this fucking guy is if you don't know the answer to any of these questions? For fuck's sake. Alright, alright, calm down. I'll ask a different question. One that you might actually fucking know. Has he slept with any of the Spice Girls? Fucking hell. Alright, I've, I've got a serious question now. Right, okay. Is it Paul Merton? No. Is it Paul Merton's dad? No. Is it Paul Merton's uncle? No. Is it Paul Merton's auntie? No. Are they related to Paul Merton? No. How about now? Oh, for fuck's sake, look, it's Shane fucking Ritchie, okay? That and the five minutes of silence that followed was the end of 20 questions for that particular day. Although we did start back up again the following day, and every other subsequent day after that. One of the other things I used to do to annoy people was, when it was my turn, I would pick the same person as the previous person had just picked, and it would always take them ages to figure out that that's what I was doing. They rarely if ever got it right, despite it being the same person that they just spent however long answering questions about. Another of the regular travelling partners that summer, Dave, who wrestled under the name Invincible, also used to play, but for some reason seemed obsessed with Ronald Reagan. Virtually every time it was his turn to choose someone, it would end up being Ronald Reagan, and on the rare occasions that it wasn't him, it was bloody Nancy Reagan or someone. Always somebody connected with Ronald Reagan, except for the time he picked Jimmy Savile. Strange, but at least it distracted us from his Homer Simpson satnav, which actually sounded more like Al Bundy from Married with Children after some sort of significant brain injury. The weird Simpson stroke Bundy voice mashup, though, wasn't the only quirky thing about the satnav. Now and again, it just seemed to randomly, with no rhyme or reason, want to take us the scenic route to venues, which normally would have been lovely. But in a large van containing a wrestling ring hanging halfway out the fucking back, with ratchet straps holding the door semi-closed because the dealership had ballsed up and given us the wrong van, with no other vans available, Trying to negotiate a narrow countryside track with cattle grids and fucking cows walking around everywhere wasn't really the ideal time to go the scenic route. Quite how we made it to some of them shows in one piece, I'll never know. But anyway, back to 20 questions. Our record for one single turn was close to an hour. We'd just left the holiday camp at Southern S, which is near Dumfries, on the way back up to Glasgow to stay over before the following day's camp at Weems Bay on the west coast of Scotland. As we were pulling away, I said, Right, I've got one. So the driver started with, Right, okay. Is it a man? No. Right, so it's a woman? Female, yeah. Is she an actress? No. Is she a sportswoman? No. Is she on TV? No. Is she a politician? No. And on we went for about 45 minutes, with me answering no to every single question. In the end, after exhausting just about every possible career option, he was on the verge of giving up. So I said I'd give him a hint. I said to him, you haven't asked the most important question yet. So he said, 
Right, okay, so what's the most important question? Are they human? Oh, right, okay. Is it human? No. Fuck's sake. Right, is it a dog? No. Is it a cat? No. Is it a goldfish? No. Is it a horse? No. Is it a pony? No. And this carried on for another five or ten minutes with him trying to guess every animal under the sun before he finally gave up and asked what it was. I said, you remember when we were leaving Southerness? Yeah. Well, it was that sheep in the field next to the show homes. And that was then followed by quite a lot of swearing. Although, again, it had served its purpose in killing a bit of time. We stopped playing 20 questions for a little bit after that. Not sure why. So yes, that's the origin of the name, Is It Shane Ritchie? In case you're wondering, the wrestling journeyman bit is because I was a journeyman involved in wrestling. There isn't quite the same length of story to that bit. And now, it's time for... Short Stories! Yes, it's Short Stories! In professional wrestling, the word legend is banded around a lot, and sometimes undeservedly. The man I'm going to be talking about in this section, though, very definitely fits that description. Or at least his madcap antics do. The man I'm talking about is none other than John Short. Chances are, even if you don't know the name, if you've been to enough British wrestling shows over the years, you'll know his face, as he's pretty much worked for every promotion out there in some capacity at some time. He's been likened to Rolf Harris, this is in appearance, by the way, not for any of Rolf's other um, tendencies. He's also been likened in appearance to John Virgo, and, for any older listeners, Acker Bilk. John has been involved in professional wrestling for decades now, and has done lots of different jobs in wrestling over the years. He's done postering jobs and publicity work, he's done merchandise sales, he's been a ringside manager and a referee, but he's best known for his work as an MC, and despite stiff competition from a couple of others, he's also my favourite person ever to have travelled with in wrestling, for reasons I hope will become clear over these episodes. I've travelled the length and breadth of Britain with John more times than I care to remember, and worked on so many shows with him that a podcast all about my experiences with John would go on for hours and hours, as there are just so many stories to tell. And that's why I'll be featuring a John Short Story of the Week on the show. I do have to credit my friend Darren, who you may know under his ring name of Tex Benedict, for the name Short Stories. A moment of inspired genius, definitely, my friend, so thank you, and I'll look forward to talking to you in depth as one of the many esteemed guests on the show in future weeks. So, how do I even begin to start describing John to people that don't know him? Well, he's a man who has, in the past, been described as an eccentric loner, which he himself refuted by saying that he knows lots of people. John is well aware of his own eccentricities, and so is anyone else who spends any length of time with him. One particular example of this can be found in the fact that John has a wristwatch, which, for several years now, has been slowing down and keeping the time less and less accurately. Rather than getting it repaired, however, or buying a new one, 
John instead takes the approach of putting sticky labels on the face of the watch and writing on them how far off the real time the watch currently is. John also once told me the tale of how he'd just been to get the work on his car done required to pass his MOT, had subsequently been passed, and then wrote his car off by crushing it into a skip on the way home. John is a man who is obsessed, amongst other things, with speedway, circuses, theatres, and Orkney fudge. He's also an avid collector of autographs, as any wrestler who has ever been in contact with him will know. He once told me he has over 40,000 different autographs in his collection at home, going back several decades, from many different branches of entertainment. Having said that though, given that I once saw him ask two drunk women in Glasgow, who'd just finished singing on a karaoke machine, for their autographs, they're probably not quite all to the standard of John Lennon or Laurence Olivier. I should make it clear here that, although sometimes I'll talk about John in these stories in less than flattering terms, I actually think the world of him. He's a friend, and has been for a long time, not only of mine, but of my family as well. I tell these stories not to knock the guy at all, well, maybe a little bit, but more in celebration of his wonderful eccentricity. This week's story comes again from 2007. In August of that year, I got married to the love of my life, Tracy and we spent our honeymoon in beautiful Ilfracombe in Devon. As I mentioned earlier, 2007 was a very busy year wrestling-wise for me. So, pretty much as soon as we got back from honeymoon, it was straight back to work. And with that in mind, we arranged to travel part of the way back up by train, then spent the night just outside Bristol, and travelled the rest of the way back up to Scotland with John. We'd already had an amazing week, but this journey with John really was the absolute icing on the cake. Unusually, for a trip with John, most of the journey was fairly quiet and uneventful, apart from him arguing for about ten minutes with a petrol pump attendant before we'd even left. But things would improve later in the journey. I tend to liken this particular journey with John to watching Matt Letizia play football. Nothing of note might happen for about 85 minutes of the match, but then he'll go and beat eight players on his own and smash in an absolute perler of a wonder goal that you talk about for months. Despite the slow start to the journey, as soon as we hit Glasgow, things were about to change, and John was about to score a wrestling road trip wonder goal. I should preface this story by saying that John is, shall we say, of a generation, where certain terms and certain ways of thinking were more acceptable in the past than in today's society. We were calling into Glasgow for one reason and one reason only, Speedway, one of John's great loves in life. Despite having been to the stadium before, John wasn't really sure of the way from the motorway and had had trouble finding it the previous time we were there, so I knew we were in for some fun. If there is ever the possibility of John potentially not getting to a Speedway meeting that he's planned to go to for whatever reason, he's been known to become incredibly ratty. And as we already knew from previous experience, a ratty John Short is a hilarious John Short. John had brought some written directions with him, from the motorway into Ashfield where the Speedway track was. However, 
Whether the directions were wrong in the first place, or whether just for a change he wasn't following them properly, and I know which one my money's on, we were soon hopelessly lost and driving aimlessly around Glasgow. We went round and round in circles for what seemed like hours, with no speedway track anywhere to be found, and John getting rattier and rattier by the minute. At one point we actually managed to get back on the main road into Ashfield, and started following John's directions again. But unfortunately they took us firstly into the car park of a carpet warehouse, and then when we backed out and took the next turning, into an abandoned industrial estate. John was in an absolutely foul mood by this point, which wasn't helped by being completely oblivious as to why several cars had been honking their horns at him for cutting them up. I should say at this point that I don't drive, and I'm therefore not really in a position to criticise any driver. However, in the case of John, I'm pretty sure I could drive a car blindfolded at 140 miles an hour, zigzagging and doing wheelies through people's front gardens, with a portable PA system playing I know a song that will get on your nerves at 4 million decibels, and still not annoy as many people as John whilst driving. Travelling with John always used to remind me of the old mother-in-law joke, where she's been driving for 50 years and she's never been involved in an accident, but she's seen thousands. And that always reminds me of how John is completely oblivious most of the time to all the carnage that he's causing. After we got back on the main road, we drove around aimlessly for another 10 minutes or so without any luck. All of a sudden, John spotted a bunch of teenagers walking down our side of the road. And I know what you're thinking, just the right people to ask directions. So John went to pull over to ask them if they knew where the track was. He then took one look at them and went, Oh no, they're Pakistanis. I have enough trouble understanding Glaswegian without Pakistani mixed in as well. He then swerved back into traffic without looking and cut up yet another car behind him, which earned him another several honks on the horn, which again he was completely oblivious as to the reason for. That in itself would have been bad enough, but the teenagers in question weren't even Asian. They were a bunch of white, neddy Glaswegian kids in tracksuits and baseball caps. They were whiter than I am, and that's saying something. Another five seconds along the road, John spotted someone else. So he went to pull over again, saying, I'll ask this woman. He started to pull over again, took one look at her and went, Oh wait, she's Chinese, that's even worse. He then again swerved back into traffic, cut up the same car again, got beeped at again repeatedly, and was still none the wiser as to what was going on. I'd already been laughing at some of the things that had happened, but that just broke me, and I started absolutely howling with laughter, struggling to breathe and with tears running down my face which just annoyed John even more. There have been very few times in my life where I've just completely lost it and laughed uncontrollably at something, but two of them were during this trip. I was already sore from laughing so much, but John wasn't finished yet. Still unable to find the speedway track, John pulled over next to a petrol station, where conveniently enough there was a wino sitting, or rather slumped forward with his head in his lap, on the wall, with a bottle of Buckfast one side of him, and what looked like a bag of glue on the other. Having finally found someone suitable to ask for directions, John proceeded to talk to the wino for about five minutes, although I think probably about four and a half minutes of that was spent trying to wake him up. Needless to say, after following the wino's directions for about 30 seconds, we were soon completely lost again, 
and still no closer to finding this elusive speedway track. Having no success on the stopping and asking locals front didn't deter John from persevering with this method though and he subsequently pulled up next to an old woman standing at a bus stop. He wound down the passenger window on my side and the conversation went something like this. Excuse me. 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 This went on for about two minutes straight, and all the while the old woman was just completely oblivious to our presence or probably anything else going on around her. Nevertheless, John was undeterred and continued on. Excuse me. Excuse me. Excuse me. Excuse me. Excuse me. He finally lost his temper and went, Is she deaf? Excuse me! At which point she finally heard him, and jumped quite a lot. By that stage though, I was in absolute hysterics again, howling with laughter, with tears running down my face. So what she must have thought when she looked in the window to see me, red-faced, crying, struggling to breathe, with an angry man shouting in my direction because he thought the woman was deaf, rather than realising that he was just talking too quietly for her to hear him, is anyone's guess. John then proceeded to ask the woman directions to the speedway track, but was unaware of the fact that she'd misheard him, and was actually giving him directions to somewhere completely different. He'd asked for directions to Ashfield Speedway Track, but she was actually giving him directions to Ashfield Road or Ashfield Crescent or somewhere. Now, I would have told John this, but for two things. Number one, I was still laughing too much and trying to get my breath back. And number two, I didn't want the fun to end anytime soon. After John had shouted thank you to the woman at about 4 million decibels, we set off again, and needless to say, we were very quickly completely and utterly lost again. However, by virtue of pretty much just driving round randomly and hoping for the best, we finally found the elusive speedway track. The fun wasn't finished there though. Not content with racially abusing half of Glasgow and shitting up old women by shouting at them, John still had plenty more people to piss off before the day was over. On the approach to the stadium, there was a small queue of cars coming from the opposite direction who were waiting to pull into the car park, with the regular, non-speedway traffic waiting behind them. As the queue of cars behind John steadily grew, he decided for once to try and aid his fellow drivers by pulling over into the middle of the road to let those behind him through. Unfortunately, he managed to pull over at some kind of weird angle, which not only blocked the traffic on the other side of the road, who were now clear to go, but he also hadn't left enough room for the cars behind him to get through either. The end result being John completely blocking the traffic on both sides of the road for about two minutes, 
and stuck in the middle of this now sizable jam on both sides, having horns honked at him from all directions and people shouting at him while he got more and more annoyed. Needless to say, the scene of an absolutely fuming John being stuck in the middle of all this chaos set me off laughing again, and I think he was probably glad to see the back of me for a couple of hours. Although we did carry on further north with him later that day, once he'd finished getting the autographs of all the car parking attendants at the fucking speedway. Alright, that bit didn't really happen, but I wouldn't have been surprised. This was just one of several hundred trips I've done with John over the years, and there's always something memorable about all of them. Next time I'll be talking about another trip we made to Scotland. This time in 2004, when John fell afoul of some parking regulations that didn't actually exist. So, now that I've introduced you to John Short a little bit, it's now time for... Quote of the Week! I say! Yes, it's Quote of the Week. And this episode's Quote of the Week is... You do realise the entire crowd has just watched you have a shower. This story, again, comes from 2007. But this time from a W3L show in Haddington, which is a small town in between Edinburgh and the east coast of Scotland. I was on first on this particular show, as I quite often was. It really is a great spot on the card, and shows that the promoter has trust in you to go out and know what to do to get the crowd warmed up for the evening. I always used to hear people balking at being asked to what they call curtain jerk. But in reality it's actually one of the most important positions on the card. I absolutely loved being in that spot and was even booked by a couple of the bigger promoters in the country specifically for that opening match spot on their shows after they saw me whilst on visits to Scotland. I took that as an absolutely massive compliment especially considering who the particular promoters I'm talking about were and their experience in the job. Anyway, after finishing the match, heading backstage, shaking hands with everyone and kind of dissecting everything, I was about to go and have my shower when I heard John Short announcing W3L promoter Mike Musso's name from the ring. I went to see what was happening as I knew Mike's match wasn't until later that night in the second half. It turned out that Mike and Drew Galloway were in the ring doing a G for the match later on. Because of the low attendance for this particular show, the ring was in one half of the sports hall, which was curtained off part way, with a small section being left open in the middle for us to make an entrance through. Because most of the audience were sitting on the same side of the ring as the curtain, it was possible to stand and watch the show without being seen. Therefore, walking out into the unused side of the sports hall, bollock naked apart from a small towel covering my nether regions, to wave, blow kisses and erotically dance for the three people in the ring, Seemed like the natural thing to do. I was waving with my hand, incidentally, in case you were wondering. Drew was the first one to see me, and actually audibly uttered, Oh my God! Which then attracted the attention of John and Mike, all of whom then started laughing. Even though Mike's laugh was a bit more nervous and was more a kind of get the fuck out of here before someone sees you kind of laugh. So, mission accomplished, I headed off backstage to go and have my shower. As I was in there, I heard some loud banging, and what sounded like people knocking on windows, which, at the time, I just put down to the other wrestlers messing about, as we were known to do. So after I'd finished in the shower, and went back to the dressing room, 
I was getting dried off when one of the W3L crew members walked in, laughing, and said, You do realise the entire crowd has just been watching you have a shower. We all burst out laughing, and it turned out that the completely deserted and darkened room I went past on my way to the showers was actually a cafe, which had only opened just before the show's half-time interval. And by the time I was having my shower, on the far side of the swimming pool next to the cafe, the interval had started, and everyone poured in to get food and drink. And also apparently to watch me shower. And it was them who had been banging on the windows. I should say in my defence that no one had told me there was a cafe there, nor had anyone said not to shower in the pool at any particular time. I did briefly consider asking Mike if I could go back out at the end of the show and do Polaroids on the back of my newfound fame, but I thought better of it in the end. So, without further ado, it's now time for... Song of the Week They say, always finish on a song. I can't remember who says that, but I've heard it somewhere. Since I've started to introduce you to the illustrious John Short on this episode, I feel it's only fitting that the first song of the week is a piece of music that John has been sent out to the ring to on many occasions now, but which was first introduced at a Wild Promotions show in 2006. As I mentioned before, John bears a certain resemblance to former snooker player and referee John Virgo, who you may remember from the early 90s TV game show Big Break. So without further ado, here it is. So, that's about it for this time. Thank you all very, very much for listening to the first ever episode of Is It Shane Ritchie? The Adventures of a Wrestling Journeyman. If you've enjoyed the episode, please do spread the good word and help us grow by sharing and recommending us to others. You can find all the necessary information on our Facebook and Twitter pages. And we will be posting updates there as to when our absolutely fabulous guests will be joining us. I am very pleased to say that the first of those guests will be joining us next time. So do, again, keep an eye out on our social media pages for all that information. We'd also love to hear your feedback, both good and bad, so that we can hopefully learn and, again, begin to grow this podcast. So, until next time, this is Carl Stewart signing off and saying goodbye and thank you.